everybody. Scott Bowden and Brian Last right along ringside and ready to go for another big day of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And we are coming off the hills, no pun intended, of one of the biggest angles in Memphis wrestling history. The 1974 babyface turn of Jerry Lawler beginning a love affair with the hometown faithful who had rallied around the king after the city's native son was betrayed by the evil Sam Bass. As we jump ahead a year later, uh, would this romance last or would it be like most of the King's relationships and his personal life and be doomed from the start? We're going to answer those questions and a whole heck of a lot more. And here's my co-host, Brian Last, to tell you all about it. That's right, Scott. This week, we'll hear more from the King and we'll find out how did he get back together with Sam Bass. We'll also revisit the very first encounter between the King, Jerry Lawler, and Superstar Bill Dundee, a history-making event that we are lucky to have classic audio of. Scott, we will also take a look at the CWA world title, and more specifically, Jerry Jarrett's battle to have Jerry the King Lawler win the world title and how the CWA world championship was developed as a way to cure that problem. Mm, well, it sounds like we got a real world beater of a show, so if we're going to get it all in, we better get going. We'll be right back after this message. Channel 13, with a finger on the pulse of what the Mid-South likes, knows that one item is Elvis Presley. Native of the Mid-South, a resident of Memphis, Elvis has appeared on Channel 13 and is tremendously popular. The Elvis Presley Special. Another point to prove WHBQ-TV is the big one. WHBQ-TV, Channel 13, your RKO general station in Memphis. Shortly after turning babyface in 1974, after being betrayed by Sam Bass and Al Green and Phil Hickerson, three of the most dastardly heels in the history of Memphis wrestling, uh, Jerry Lawler doesn't really... He, he turns babyface, but he doesn't really change his character. He's still a smart aleck. He tells his new partner, Tojo Yamamoto, to shut up and let me handle the interviews. He still belittles Lance Russell and calls him banana nose and liver lips and all those kind of things, but in a more joking kind of way. But most of all, the most shocking change in Jerry Lawler is that he channels his inner dusty roads and he begins this love affair with the people, his people, and he starts talking about making the, the, the movement in Memphis. But unfortunately, around this time, he has a falling out with promoter Jerry Jarrett. He loses a match to Jack Briscoe and then vanishes and then makes a triumphant return as a babyface dressed all in white to battle the undefeated Mongolian Stomper in the summer of 1975. And man, they drew record business. Stomper was managed by Bearcat Wright. We heard great audio last week from that. And eventually, Lawler has a showdown with the new babyface in town, the guy who has sort of taken his place as the top dog. I'm talking about Bob Armstrong, who has become the Southern heavyweight champion. And he's the guy who's been sort of picking up the babyface slack while Lawler's been gone. And initially... The King and Armstrong form an alliance, a partnership. They defeat the interns. And then it's announced the following week on TV in December of 1975 that Jerry Lawler is going to get another shot at Jack Briscoe. Yeah, 
oh, naturally, this uh, this irks Bob Armstrong, and he's acting a little cocky. He's like going, How, why is he getting the shot? And basically, the king had the, the night off last week. I'm the one who uh, carried the load and, and beat the interns. Well, of course, this is not going to sit well with the king of Memphis. So they have a title match to decide who faces Jack Briscoe. Scientific match. Well, scientific by Memphis standards. Armstrong pins him clean. Lawler shakes his hand, but as soon as Armstrong turns his back, (laughs) Lawler jumps on him, breaks his ribs, and the Southern heavyweight title is up for grabs. So the following week, after not only betraying Armstrong, but the people of Memphis, there starts to be some talk around town that maybe Lawler is negotiating with Sam Bass, making a deal with the devil himself. And those suspicions are confirmed the following Saturday morning on December 6th, 1975, when Sam Bass suddenly reappears in the corner of the King. We're going to pick up uh, this action midway through, and there's a very symbolic thing that happens at the end of this match. Let's listen to the audio now. Maintaining the whole day. Breaks out of it. How about a little hair pulling there, Rocky? Didn't see any hair pulling. Jerry Lawler claims he had his hair pulled. Stay out of this, grandmother. Let him Sam Bass getting on the crowd a little bit. They get right back at Sam. Come, you got that white hair, you old bastard. Oh, come on, Sam. I advise Sam uh, not to worry so much about the audience. Better pay attention to what's going on in the ring. However, Looks like Lawler is taking care of himself pretty good right now. He was in trouble for a moment over there. Oh, look out. There's that elbow. Lawler drops down on Betty. A cover. One, two, three. That's it. Jerry Lawler with the win in a one-ball match here. Sam Bass with the crown takes it, presents it to Jerry Lawler in the ring. And they're on their way with a one-fold victory here. And as if there were any doubts that the king was shifting back to the dark side, well, it's confirmed the moment that Sam Bass coronates the king once again. And there's a change now, though. Lawler is no longer the king of Memphis. He compares it to a romance that's over. His love affair with the people of Memphis is over. He was preaching uh, last week about, man, I, man, this signing autographs is cool. I'm going to be over at Pop Toon, shaking hands with all the people and kissing babies. Well, <laughs> his attitude has clearly changed because he decided, man, that was getting me nowhere. That was getting me nowhere fast. Nice guys finish last. And you have Sam back in his usual role saying, that's right, Jerry, that's right. Before we go to their first promo back together again, we're going to hear from a very ticked-off Bill Dundee. He makes no bones about it. This plants the seeds for that great feud in the summer of 77 over who's going to be the top dog. Dundee is already making noise about, hey, brother, I'm the new king. And he also has a very unusual way of rallying fan support by uh, using a racial slur. But uh, at any rate, here we go with Bill Dundee. 
It's 56 seconds. It was uh, Lawler and Bass uh, conferring from time to time throughout the match. And uh, Lawler getting tough toward the end of it and uh, ended up winning the match. That's not all. More is coming up in just a few minutes. But uh, there's a young man who's uh, very interested not only in the outcome of this match with Jerry Lawler, but in also uh, another match that's coming up with Lawler, Bill Dundee, right here. Bill? Uh, I don't want to tell you how to do your job. But you introduced Jerry the King Lawler in that ring today. That ain't Jerry the King Lawler no more. It's just Jerry Lawler because I beat you last Monday night, guy, and you know it. You ain't the King of Memphis no more. You're looking at him now, boy. You're the ex-king. You're looking at the King of Memphis, boy. I put your crown on that ring last Monday and I fed it to a T, guy. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. You're running scared, Lawler, because if you wasn't, you wouldn't have brought that hillbilly that walks around here and them cowboy boots and them raggedy jeans. That Sam Bass. You wouldn't have brought him back. And I'm going to tell you something else, Lawler. Standing right there, right in that spot last week, you sucker punched me, guy. Yeah, in this eye, you sucker punched me. And I'll tell you, I hit the floor about six feet away. But I got up, Lawler, and that's what makes it a man. I got up, and I beat you last Monday, and I'm going to beat you again this Monday. So you can bring Sam Bass, and you can bring everybody you like. The main thing, bring the crown, because that's what I want, guy, the crown. Because it's going back on his head, and then it's going to stay. And if you don't believe I'm going to be the king of Memphis, when you're standing in that ring Monday night, just look up at the balcony guy, and all them jungle bunnies is going to be yelling, Go Bill Dundee, not Jerry Lawler. And believe me, folks, I ain't going to let you down. I'm going to beat that Lawler, because I don't like to be Sunday punched, and I don't like this pretty face messed up. But Jerry Lawler, did you see the black eye on Jerry Lawler? I did see the yeah. black eye on Jerry Lawler. Ask him what he gets out here, and he's got that shuffling hillbilly with him. Ask him who gave it to him. Now, Jerry Lawler, you're running scared, guy. I don't like to repeat myself, but you're running scared. If you wasn't running scared, you wouldn't have Sam Bass back. You told all the people you're going to beat Jack Briscoe. Well, I got news for you, guy. You ain't going to wrestle Jack Briscoe because you've got to beat Bill Dundee to get there, and you ain't going to do that. Now, that's about all i got to say to you, Lawler, because you're just out of my mind. All you good people in Ripley, Bill Dundee's going to be there tonight. Tommy Gilbert's going to be there tonight. And I wish Jerry Lawler would come, guy, because... But that's another story. So, Lawler, just for you, buddy boy, bring the crown. Because it's going back on the head that it belongs. And you're going to be standing in that ring, an awful lonely guy. You told the people all you need is Sam Bass. Well, that's all you got, guy. Sam Bass, that's all you got. And I wouldn't like just to say to people, hey, Sam Bass is all I got in the world. That's all I got to say to you, Lawler. Dave, thank you. All right, thank you, Bill. By the way, that match is uh, going to be a, a match for uh, the representative for the state of Tennessee in the uh, Southern uh, Junior Heavyweight uh, title uh, eliminations, which are going on right now. Bill Dundee will be going against Jerry Lawler. Lawler will have manager Sam Bass with him Monday night, Mid-South Coliseum. And we've got more wrestling action uh, right here. <laughs> We'll get him back in. Dundee is going to be involved in this match. He's going to be going in a single in this one. So uh, we'll get everybody moving back to the ring. Here comes Bill right here. And, of course, <laughs> Lawler is uh, very amused by what Bill Dundee has to say. And he comes out and delivers the first of one of many promos that cut Bill Dundee down to size. Let's listen to that right now. I kind of say their piece out here and what they think about uh, what has been going on and this young man is one who is never at a loss for words especially since uh, he has another guy with him who's never at a loss for words here he is sam bass he's followed by jerry lawler and i almost said jerry the king lawler i see he's got his crown bill dundee says you're no longer the king of memphis he's the king well you know i watched 
I watched little Bill's interview, and it was it was funny to say the least, wasn't it, Sam? You know, he said some things that weren't quite true, but then again, he made some statements that had a little bit of truth to them. He said, "I'm not any longer the king of Memphis," and to a certain extent, he may be right, because I don't know if I any longer want to be the king of Memphis. From now on, you people can just refer to me as the king, because you know. It's, it's just like a little romance. That's what it was like, but now the romance is all over. You know, they say there's a thin line between love and hate. And Sam Bass asked me last Monday night after the match, he said, Jerry, I really, I really just, I can't understand it. What is the reason for it? He said, for months and months these people have been behind you. The people of Memphis have loved you. They've listened to you every word. You've been their hero, their idol. And now they've turned against you in the wink of an eye. He said, I just can't understand it. And I said, well, Sam, I can understand it. Because all the time that they were cheering for me and hollering for me and looking up to me, in the back of their mind, baby, there was that little bit of resentment. And all it took to bring that resentment out was that one loss to Bob Armstrong. And I'll admit I did lose the match. Like I said, I lost the battle, but I won the war. It didn't matter to all the people of Memphis that I broke Bob Armstrong's ribs. It didn't matter to the people of Memphis that I fractured Bob Armstrong's nose and laid him up in a hospital, and he's out of wrestling for months now. That didn't matter. All that mattered was that I got beaten. You know, they crowded around that ring, and I heard them talking, man. They said, Jerry Lawler, you're washed up, ain't you, boy? Lost that match. You must be through. You has been. I'll admit it's true. You people have never seen me lose before. But you didn't look at Bob Armstrong and see the condition he was in. You were standing around that ring saying, you better go get Sam Bass back. Well, I'll tell you what, I listened to it till I got fed up to right here with it. So that's exactly what I did. I went and got Sam Bass back, baby. And you're not going to see me lose anymore in that ring. Never again will you see that. I know what it was. That, like I said, it was a resentment in the back of, in the back of you people's mind. I, I don't really know what it's like to be a common person like you people. But I can almost imagine, you know, everybody, everybody needs somebody that they can look up to and idolize. And that's what I gave you people, somebody that you could call your children in here and tell them, look, son, there's what you need to eat, drink all your milk, eat all your food and grow up to be a man like Jerry Lawler. That's what you could tell your kids. Listen to them. See? That's my people over there. When we come down to talking about facts, the truth is not always good to hear, but ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you the truth, whether you like it or not. I'm sick and tired of trying to be Mr. Nice Guy. You know what? You people are really not very likable people. I really, I have a lot of respect, or a little respect for jerks like Eddie Marlin and Tommy Gilbert, because they try and I know, I realize now because I tried, I realize just how hard it is to be nice to you people. You little jerks come running up to me with a little scrap of paper and a pencil and say, give me your autograph. You should come crawling on your hands and knees and say, please, King, do me the honor of giving me your autograph. I should be selling them. Well, don't ask me for no autographs anymore, brothers and sisters, because I'm going to turn a deaf ear on you. I'm sick and tired of you. I'm through with all of you. Don't call me the king of Memphis. Just call me the king from now on. I'm fed up with it. Now let's talk for just a minute about that shrimp Bill Dundee. 
He said, I'm not wrestling Jack Briscoe. I got news for you. You got your wires crossed, punk. I am wrestling Jack Briscoe. That match is already signed. This match is simply for the Tennessee representative to see who's going to wrestle for the Southern Heavyweight Championship. A lot of matches were held all across states and country last week, and there were winners. We've already heard some of the winners in the matches. Dick the Bruiser, Bobo Brazil. There's going to be some mighty elite company there, and wouldn't you look funny in a tournament with them, Bill Dundee? <laughs> You're not even in our class, baby! You're not in the same class as me and Dick the Bruiser and Bobo Brazil. You're right down there along with Tommy Gilbert and Eddie Marlin and jerks like that, Tojo Yamamoto and Tommy Rich. That's your speed. You're not up there with the superstars, baby. You got a long way to go. And Monday night, you stood out here and told all the people, well, let them be your people because I don't want them no more, Bill Dundee. You tell them, baby. You, I don't need them. You know, you people don't realize what I did for you. You you stand here with that little smirk on your mouth. Hey, that's right. You stand here with that little smirk on your face. Don't give me the wind up. I'll talk all day if I want to. You stand here with a little smirk. Don't point your finger at me, baby. You and Lance Russell. If you don't mind, let me hold this for my boy, will you? This jerk here and Lance Russell, they were nobodies. The only reason when you walk down the street today, people don't say, there goes Lance Russell and Dave Brown. They say, there goes Banana Nose and that other geek that Lawler talks about on TV. <laughs> Nobody says I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. They say I'm from Lawler's town, baby. That's what I did for you people. I put you on the map. You don't appreciate it, so I'm through with you. And Bill Dundee, I'm going to show you. You can have these people, and I'll show you what good they are Monday night because I'm going to walk over you like a piece of garbage in that ring, baby, and I'm going to be the Tennessee representative, and I'm going to come out wearing the Southern Heavyweight Championship, and it's going to be just like it used to be. Ain't that right, Sam? That's right. Just like it used to be. You're looking at the men in Memphis right now, baby. We'll see you tonight, Dave and Ripley, baby, if you want to ride up there and watch a good match. Lawler turned against the people. He'll be going down there against Monday night uh, Bill Dundee in the main event. It will be uh, part of the elimination tournament to determine Tennessee's representative for the Southern Junior Heavyweight title. That's coming up Monday night down at the Coliseum. We're going to take just a minute. We'll be back with you. And what's interesting about uh, the, both those promos, yeah, they're talking about the King of Memphis, but they're also talking about a higher goal. The King and the Superstar are both talking about Jack Briscoe. This was at a time when a lot of the promotion storylines were centered around the World Heavyweight Championship. That's in part because Jerry Jarrett was starting to run the Memphis end, and he had so much respect for Jack Briscoe as a performer. So he was sort of at the center of some of these storylines. And plus, it sort of gave the local guys a rub, you know. They're, they're fighting over the chance to go after Briscoe. Uh, and eventually, this would uh, come full circle in 1979. But before we get ahead of ourselves, uh, Brian, what do you think about this abrupt switch of the king back to uh, the dark side? Well, I really think it's interesting, the symbolism. Because, of course, we heard last week on the program, Jerry the King Lawler and Sam Bass have their big breakup. An attack by Phil Hickerson and Al Green, orchestrated by Sam, who sits back, watches, and eventually tosses Jerry Lawler's crown into the ring to be destroyed by Hickerson and Green. Here we are a year later. He's back. Sam Bass is there. And what does Sam Bass do? He throws to Jerry a new crown. 
very symbolic of the way things ended and the way things are going to begin once again. And that's one thing that they stress, like, we're back, baby, and things are going to start picking up. The other interesting thing is just the general timeline. Of course, this is the end of 75. We know that Jack Briscoe would drop the NWA title to Terry Funk on December 10th, 1975 in Miami, Florida. And also that we are less than a year away from the unfortunate passing of Sam Bass in that car accident. Yeah, and uh, that also actually led to uh, the retirement of, uh, I believe, Don Green. Uh, and I think a lot of wrestlers, I think, uh, I think everybody slowed down for a while. You know, I think they'd had a lot of near misses, but obviously that, that, uh, that shook up uh, Lawler quite a bit. And uh, to this day, Lawler still gets a little emotion talking about Sam Bass, you know, because he had such an impact on the early part of his career, which again was all part of Jerry Jarrett's plan. And one thing that's interesting about this, history often repeats in professional wrestling. In 1979, Lawler still does not have a world heavyweight championship. And the fans are starting to doubt, you know, how can this guy call himself the king if he can never win the big one? And man, they had done every possible screw job imaginable. Uh, But they always made the champion still look pretty strong. And uh, Lawler did get some major heat with the NWA following an October 1976 bout with Terry Funk, where Lawler was declared the champion. The decision is overturned. Lawler runs back to the dressing room with the 10 pounds of gold and Memphis Magazine that had been doing a feature article on the King. They had this elaborate photo thing set up and Lawler goes to the photographer and he goes, hurry up hurry up, take my picture. And so he got about 10 of these beautiful, like state-of-the-art pictures made with Lawler wearing the NWA World Heavyweight title, and Terry Funk never knew about it. And when that issue hit the stands, eventually it found its way to Sam Munchnik and the NWA, and I believe that's what caused the riff when Harley Race came to town and was like, hey, what the hell are you doing? acting like you've beaten the entire NWA, you've beaten Andre the Giant, you've beaten Terry Funk, you should be the world champion, and uh, I'm going to kick your ass in that ring tonight. Lawler has never acknowledged the story, (laughs) but according to Hardy Race, Lawler was trembling. It wouldn't come out to the ring until uh, he was assured by the referee that Harley was not going to hurt him. And again, that's one of those stories. There's probably some semblance of truth to it because you just didn't do stuff like that. You know, you didn't say that you beat Andre the Giant when you really lost by disqualification. You didn't pose with the NWA World Heavyweight Championship when you really didn't win it back then. So uh, Lawler was starting to get some major heat with the NWA, which only solidified the fact in Jared's mind that he was probably never going to get a run. So he decides in 1978 to make the switch to the AWA. Now, he doesn't resign from NWA membership, but he goes with Nick Bockwinkle. And I think uh, there are a few reasons for this. Obviously, Nick worked a much lighter schedule than Harley Race. And another key factor is that uh, Nick was available on Monday nights, which, you know, wrestling fans are creatures of habits. And that's when they uh, traditionally uh, attend the matches. And so uh, it it was a no-brainer. And I also believe that Jarrett thought Nick uh, was a better all-round performer than Harley. I think he didn't like some of the goofy falls that that Harley would sometimes take. Now, I'm a big Harley race fan, 
but some of the flops and flips and stuff that he would do that Flair later emulated, I don't think Jarrett was a big fan of it. And one thing about Nick Bockwinkle, I saw he and Lawler have so many different kinds of matches. And plus, you know, his his personality. Uh, other guys may try to seem like they're rich and they come off trying to be classy. Nick Bockwinkle was pure class. Don't you agree, Brian? Nick Bockwinkle was an amazing world champion. He was amazing in that role as world champion. In fact, it's even hard to watch footage of him when he wasn't a world champion earlier in his career because you kind of see him in that role. He's a perfect fit for the role as world champion. I do think it's interesting in terms of timing here that, remember, it's 1977 where Jerry Jarrett defeats Nick Goulas pretty quickly, pretty painlessly, Mm. and Mm. takes over Memphis, but... The interesting thing was he had the backing of the NWA, which was pretty shocking because Nicholas, despite the fact that he was unpopular, he said NWA and showed the logo of the NWA on his program more than probably any other promoter in the alliance. But they take Jerry Jarrett's side, and Jerry Jarrett has Buddy Fuller, the son of Roy Welch, as his partner. And here we are a year later, and he's gotten to that point where he says, I'm never going to have the political capital to get my own champion. Everyone has a pick. And you Mm -hmm. have to have Eddie Graham on your side. You have to have Jim Crockett on your side. The Funks on your side. Giant Baba on your side. And he wasn't going to be able to sell those guys. He wasn't going to be able to sell Sam Mushnick on Jerry Long as a touring world champion. Absolutely not. No, Sam never brought Lawler in. Uh, Lawler did appear in St. Louis, uh, oddly enough, as a tag team with David Von Erich shortly before uh, David passed away. Uh, but I don't think uh, Sam had much to, to do with that decision. Lawler's style just wasn't really suited for St. Louis. And really, you know, I think Jarrett really wanted the world title for Lawler. But I honestly don't think that Lawler cared one way or another because i think he was more interested in having one of those quickie two or three week runs uh where he wouldn't have to do much traveling because he hated being on the road you know and he had the best gig going in wrestling so why give that up i could envision jerry lawler possibly winning the title i do have a tough time envisioning him losing the title right and you know and i think that's one thing that uh that jared reasoned he goes you know Eddie Graham claims to support Lawler uh, in getting a run. Jim Barnett is whispering in my ear, oh, yeah, my boy, I totally, uh, Jerry Jerry Lawler is so deserving to, to, to get a shot and to get a run with it. But who knows if those guys were telling the truth. And I think Jarrett figured, hey, man, if I go with the AWA, I've only got to convince one guy. And if we do strong business together and we're trading talent, I think it's certainly feasible. Now, it ended up taking longer than he envisioned. I think he wanted it to happen by 1980 or 1982, which would have been ideal. It eventually happened in 1988, but still, it worked in the end. But in the meantime, in a very curious decision, shortly after uh, history repeats itself in 1979, Bill Dundee is in line this time for a world title shot with Nick Bockwinkle. And also, you know, everyone always talks about the WFIA angle with Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert. Well, this was another huge angle where the convention was involved. They came to town, and not only was Dundee getting a shot at Nick Bockwinkle, but Dundee was named Wrestler of the Year, not Lawler. And in a bit of foreshadowing... Over the next few, Lawler had been clean shaven 
He had been wearing like these ridiculous, like red, white, and blue stripes uh, and trunks for a while. It sort of looked like uh, evil Knievel. I remember I was at the uh, Mid-South Coliseum the first night, 1979, that the Freebirds came out to entrance music. And Jerry Jarrett was the first one to let them do this. And the baby faces had already made their entrance. So Lawler and Dundee are standing in the ring. And then you've got the Freebirds coming out to their anthem. I'm there. I'm on my feet. The entire crowd's on their feet. And Michael Hayes, I think he's exaggerating the story a little bit. So while this angered Lawler to be upstaged by this young cocky punk, uh, the king's a fast learner. And uh, if he sees somebody do something, he's going to do something even more impressive. Uh, and I have some shots. I have some pictures. The, uh, the WFIA convention guys were still in town. All those guys who were known to be a part of the convention back in those days. Uh, so they took photos. And Lawler's still a baby face. They're facing the Freebirds. But you can see the outline of the crown-shaped goatee slowly starting to take place. It's starting to kind of fill in. It's just a very subtle thing that Lawler is about to switch back because he had been clean-shaven through most of that babyface run. And quite frankly, Lawler had become kind of boring and bland at that point. And I just don't think he enjoyed cutting those kind of nice guy interviews. This was more his style to be a heel. So it sets up a deal where Dundee goes, hey, Lawler, you know, my friendship is more important than the World Heavyweight Championship. If you want it, you wrestle Bachwinkle. And Lawler goes, oh, no, 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 no. You're not giving me anything. Let's wrestle for it. So they go in there and Lawler, <laughs> usually it would only take one chain, but Dundee takes that one away from him. Lawler has a second chain. Dundee takes that one away, throws it into the crowd, goes, come on, man, let's just wrestle. And Lawler nods his head. Yeah, you're right. And then as soon as Dundee turns his back, he pulls a third chain <laughs> and knocks Dundee out, pins him to get the title shot, and then, oh, struts over the prone body of Bill Dundee. And the crowd is just going bananas. So he earns the right to face Nick Bockwinkle in August of 79. And I, of course, I have to be there to see my first World Heavyweight Championship match. And it did not disappoint. Lawler is in his absolute prime as a worker here. And he and Nick are just, it's amazing. They're just trading holds. They're zigzagging all over the ring. Uh, doing, I've, I've, I saw Lawler do stuff I've never seen him do before. Actually, I have uh, clips of this uh, on my YouTube channel. But most important, the King makes his first ever grand entrance, taking a cue from the Freebirds. Only this time, the lights go down in the Coliseum. There's a hush that comes over. The theme from Rocky plays. And he is carried to the ring by a bunch of jabronis sitting atop a throne. And it is absolutely amazing and ahead of its time. If anyone tells you what promotion greatly influenced WWE the most, I would have to say Memphis as far as the elaborate entrances and the music videos. You know, the camera work and, and uh, world class was a lot better. But really, the whole tone of Memphis wrestling greatly influenced the WWF product when Vince expanded. The music videos was a game changer. It was something introduced in Memphis pretty early on, actually, and eventually it was spread everywhere. It was, of course, Mid-South Wrestling who capitalized on those videos in 1984 with the Rock and Roll Express and Terry Taylor, and of course, Mike Shields, 
the longtime producer for Memphis, would end up going to work for Vern Gagne and taking a lot of the techniques that he learned in Memphis to the AWA. And eventually, Joel Watts would go work for the WWF. Joel Watts learned how to make videos from Memphis. So it yeah. all leads back to Memphis, and of course these entrances, and there are so many great Jerry Lawler entrances, the one where he's carried on a throne is one people have seen the clips of, because there is close-up footage, it's not just the wide shot, I think it's very memorable, and Memphis doesn't get the credit it deserves for so many of the trends it started. Yeah, absolutely, you know, you hear a lot of critics talking about the humor and the, the clowny stuff, but man... Uh, when they shifted gears and they really put an emphasis on titles, which is usually an indication that Jerry Jarrett was uh, taking control of the booking at that point, they did it beautifully. And they didn't bring in the world champion all the time. You know, he made maybe three or four. So it, it just it raised the stakes. It made the matches that much more important. But eventually, Jarrett gets tired of waiting for Vern to crown his king. And so he creates his own. CWA World Heavyweight Championship. And the whole idea behind this is to give Lawler credibility. The fans are tired of seeing Lawler come up short in these matches. And eventually the fans are going to catch on and they're going to go, ah, he's never going to, he's never going to win the big one. It's going to be some kind of screwy deal. The guy's going to get disqualified. It'll be overturned. So Lawler had to get a clear, decisive victory over a major superstar. And who better? Then superstar Billy Graham, which is who the King defeated in November of 1979. Now, the only problem with this, Jerry Jarrett is usually very detail-oriented, and if he had brought in Graham wearing this uh, World Heavyweight Championship belt that uh, it uh, sort of looked regal, but uh, looked like it was made for maybe 200 bucks. But it was not superstar Graham who entered the area. It was journeyman Pat McGinnis, a guy who had appeared uh, really uh, on the undercard uh, of Memphis and really had made no impact uh, as uh, early as 1977. I had not heard the guy's name in years. He just didn't look like a world champion to me. And not only that, he's carrying the CWA World Heavyweight Title Trophy. I mean, come on. What is it, We're supposed to believe this big, huge, hulking guy is lugging around this, <laughs> this like six-foot, seven-foot trophy all over the globe? Come on. It, yeah, I was eight years old, and I didn't believe that. Plus, I was a smart fan. I was reading the After Magazines. I knew who the true world champions were, and I'd never heard of this Continental Wrestling Association uh, World's Heavyweight Championship. I was really skeptical about the whole thing, and I was there the night that Superstar Graham defeated McGinnis to win the trophy. But first, of course, he had to defeat him in an arm wrestling match. I don't know how this made him the number one contender, but somehow it did. And actually, Graham got a pretty good pop, you know. He was cutting pretty good promos. And, you know, what he lacked in the ring, he more than made up for in his promos, especially, you know, the promos back and forth between he and Lawler. It was starting to get pretty heated, pretty hot. So they booked a match in Lexington, Kentucky at Rupp Arena. And uh, the word is that Memphis was going to get the world title change. However, they got the feeling that Graham was getting itchy feet and was about to bail. So they wanted the title off him as soon as possible. So on a huge card at Lexington's Rupp Arena in November of 1979, 
there are actually two world title matches. And this, I think, was done to give credibility to the CWA title. You have AWA world champion Nick Bockwinkle defending against Bill Dundee. You have former WWF champion Superstar Graham, who just two years ago was all over the wrestling magazines, wearing the tie-dye and almost God, all the covers almost looked like they were in 3D, him just popping off the covers. And this larger-than-life personality. So Lawler wins the title, returns to Memphis, and the crowd, according to Memphis historian Mark James, was about 4,600. So a lot of fans weren't buying this as a legit world championship. But really, the plan all along was not necessarily to fool the fans into thinking that Lawler had won the big one. Now, the big one was still the AWA World Heavyweight title because in Memphis, the fans viewed Nick as the real deal. So immediately in December of 1979, there was a unification match signed. And (laughs) we have a great promo uh, of Lance Russell introducing this match. You can tell he's really excited. It's a dream match. And here is heel Jerry Lawler with his cheerleader, Jimmy Hart, talking about how he is going to unify the CWA and AWA World Heavyweight titles. Let's go to the audio now. Action is going to be something. Lawler against Bockwinkle, the Assassins against uh, Billy Robinson and Paul Ellering, and all of it happening. You can get your tickets until 5 today and all day on Monday in there. And here he is. Well... Letting things get a little out of hand out here today, aren't you? All right. Listen, I just want to say that uh, you got one of the things that you want, the championship. Now you've got an opportunity to have your title, the World Heavyweight title, Continental Wrestling Association against the AWA Nick Bockwinkle. And boy, I don't have to tell you how tough Bockwinkle is. Are you through liver lips? (laughs) If you are, then let the king do a little talking. I'll tell you how tough Bockwinkle is. He's not tough enough, baby. He is not tough enough. Oh, he's tough. He's about this tough right here. But the king is this tough right here, baby. And I am going to be, after Monday night, the one and only world heavyweight champion. Isn't that great? One man is going to walk out of that ring Monday night at that Coliseum with two world championship belts. And you're looking at him right here. I'm the one. We made the uh, comment just a moment ago to Dave that the time limit has been extended That's to 90 right. minutes. 90 minutes. That's You've been, never been 90 That has been a favorite tactic of Nick Bockwinkle. I wrestled that man twice in the past. He tried every move he knew of in that little feeble pea brain of his. He reached back and got something he didn't even know about. He tried everything he could. What are you looking at your watch for? Don't be looking at your watch when I'm out here, you goof. These people tune in to see me. These people tune in to hear me tell what I'm going to be doing to people like Bockwinkle. He tried everything he's ever known in, on me in the past, and he couldn't beat me. He couldn't pin my shoulders to the mat, and he realized that. So you know what he did? He stalled for time. He knew that that 60 minutes would finally be up. He couldn't beat the king, so he said, I'll try to outlast him. I'll try to get a draw, and I'll try to walk out of here with my belt still around my waist. And he did that twice. But 90 minutes come Monday night. That's an hour and a half. Do you realize it? it. 90 minutes, Nick Bockwinkle. You can't go that long, baby. It took me only 65 minutes to beat you last time I wrestled you. And it's not going to take me that long this time. The CWA World Heavyweight Champion against the AWA Champion. One man is going to walk out the World Heavyweight Champion. Once and for all, we're going to get it settled. You're looking at him right here. I gotta say, it is a dream match to have the two champions going against each other. 
The 90-minute time limit is unbelievable. An hour and a half's worth of wrestling. It is going to be something that, as a matter of fact, I will tell you I will be looking forward to it. It's a dream match. You said it. Don't come down there looking like a nightmare. Dress up for a change, would you? (laughs) That's Jerry the King Lawler. And uh, heading out with his chief cheerleader, uh, Jimmy Hart. And, of course, that match ends in controversy. Uh, But really... This gives you an idea. The seeds were planted right here for Jarrett's true plans for the CWA title. He was in the process of really persuading or pushing Bernganya to engage in a series of unification matches. Because, you know, Ganya was sort of a rebel on his own. You know, he left the National Wrestling Alliance and created his own world championship. Jared is trying to do the same. Uh, They're trading talent. Uh, They're becoming partners. So the deal was, this is, and this comes straight from Jerry Jarrett. He told me this himself. The idea was that they would unify the belts. Lawler would get it initially, hold it for the short term, and then Nick would regain it in the end. But it would finally establish the fact that Lawler not only could win a world title, he could win two, unify them, and briefly be on top of the world as the undisputed world heavyweight champion. And if that sounds a little familiar, that's eventually what they did in 1988 with Kerry Von Erich, although that was hand- handled rather sloppily, which uh, is kind of redundant with uh, the Von Erichs involved. But at any rate, um, before this can happen, though, Jerry Jarrett's prized racehorse, his champion, breaks his leg at the hands of Jerry the Crippler Calhoun, which sidelines the king for the rest of 1980. So all this talk of unifying the AWA and CWA titles goes out the window. They put the CWA title on a guy. It's kind of following that classic formula. You can't put the belt on somebody similar. You have to go with the antithesis of the of the guy who last held the championship. And there's nobody different from Lawler than Billy Robinson. The only problem with that is if Billy doesn't want to lose, how are you going to get the belt off of him? And eventually Billy left the area with the title. And when Jarrett confronted him about it years later, because Jarrett just wanted it back for, you know, sentimentality reasons. And Robinson claimed that his wife took it in a divorce, <laughs> which may have been the only way to get the belt off Billy Robinson. But the uh, the Lawler Bachwinkle feud continued uh, into 1982 when Bachwinkle lost the title to <laughs> not to Hulk Hogan, but to Otto Wands and a huge upset. And so he was looking for a championship. So he came to Memphis shortly after Ric Flair had appeared in Memphis and he and Lawler had signed a contract to eventually wrestle for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. And Nick defeats Lawler. And not only that, beats him three or four times in a row. And that's another great thing that I loved about Memphis. They didn't make the world champion seem like such a weenie. I think even Flair offered to put Lawler 
over clean, but they they were going, no, let's let it end inconclusively. You know, Lawler will hit the fist drop and instead of getting the pin, you'll just kind of crawl out of the ring and, and, and run away from him with the belt. But the issue is still in doubt and it doesn't kill Flair's credibility as the world champion. It took Lawler four times to get his Southern heavyweight title back. And one fist drop didn't do it from the turnbuckle. A second one didn't work. He had to go to the very top rope. This is a no disqualification match with his hair on the line. And that finally put Bachwinkle away. And that earned Lawler a world heavyweight title match to close out 1982. So Flair is completely out of the picture here. And if there's any doubt that Flair is out of the picture, we're going to go to some audio right now where Bachwinkle still has the Southern heavyweight title and the AWA world title that he has since regained from Otto Wands, and he is threatening to, I didn't know you could do this, but I guess if you're the world champion, you can do anything. He's threatening to retire the Southern heavyweight title. Let's go to that clip right now. Well, the baseball season's over, but I guess it still applies. A famous baseball line of there's no joy in Mudville. There's no joy in Memphis, at least in a lot of quarters, because Nick Bockwinkle still owns the Southern Heavyweight Championship. Jimmy Hart, you had a lot to do with it. Well, you know, I think the famous line is do unto others, Jerry, as you have them do unto you, man. You know, this is probably the greatest moment of my life right now, because you see Jerry Lawler a couple of months back when you were facing Kamala and James J. Dillon with your hair on the line and the belt on the line and the winner to get a world shot against Ric Flair. Who came to your rescue? Jimmy Hart. Who won that belt for you, baby, and saved your hair? Jimmy Hart did. And what did he do? He got on TV and he laughed and he made fun of me and he said, hey, Jimmy, I used you, baby. I used you. Well, nobody uses me. But you know what I did, Jerry Lawler? I used this man right here to take away from you the Southern belt and also the shot at Ric Flair for the world belt. Well, Nick Bockwinkle has done it. Jimmy Hart's happy. He's the man that has the Southern belt, and of course that means it's a Ric Flair date. Now, I don't want to get any personal arguments, and if uh, Mr. Uh, if Mr. Lawler has made enemies in this part of the country with a number of people by the way he's conducted himself business-wise, and as it turns out, what goes around comes around, and now, after three times out uh, to the post, you have failed, Mr. Lawler, you have taken and made the effort three times, and in three efforts, you have not regained the Southern Heavyweight Championship. Now, I stand before you as the AWA World's Heavyweight Champion. I stand before you as the Southern Heavyweight Champion, and consequently, what this has brought about, and for all you little cretinous humanoids out there, you people here in the greater part of the Memphis area will not see Mr. Flair put up the NWA title against yours truly, the Southern heavyweight champion and the AWA heavyweight champion, he will have to defend the NWA crown, which I have for years been chasing these people to try to put it up against me, to try to see who is the true and the one and the only real champion. This battle, this fight, this match, this contest will take place, but not here. It's going to take place as far as I'm concerned on the West Coast in either San Francisco or Los Angeles. You mean my that hometown. Memphis, after all of the support and the expectations of seeing the he Southern heavyweight champion go against Ric Flair will not have the opportunity to see that match here. I hate to say that your people have been deluded into believing that anything that Mr. Lawler said and did, and no matter what part of the country he's gone and signed contracts, 
I hate to say that he's let you down, but it's just about what it amounts to. He could have gotten a match against Mr. Flair here, but it takes a man of my magnitude to carry three championships, three titles, three belts. I'll have to get extra luggage just to haul these around so that, yes, the poor Cretanous humanoids here, no. I acquiesce not to them, but only to myself. And it is going to be Southern California or San Francisco that that bout takes place. So, Mr. Lawler... I guess I can only say goodbye, and uh, I don't know, maybe after I win Mr. Flair's belt, we may take and either retire this, or I may give it back to the championship committee, and they may even have to have a tournament, because it'll be so impossible for me to get into this part of the country to defend that belt, let alone the world's heavyweight title. Nick Bockwinkle, the world uh, AWA world champion and also the AWA Southern heavyweight champion, taking his belts and heading back to Beverly Hills, California, where he will defend in that area against Ric Flair for the world's title, and we will not have an opportunity to see it here. It's his. I guess he can do what he wants to. You're right. With it. That's exactly it. <laughs> So again, with his hair on the line, Lawler is virtually unbeatable. Uh, just don't ask Austin Idol about that, or Paul Heyman, because he'll tell you that um, that he's the one who defeated Jerry Lawler and shaved his head. But at any rate, sets up a world heavyweight title match, December 27th, 1982. I asked to go for Christmas, and I did not get that. It was the most disappointing Christmas since Austin Idol defeated Jerry Lawler on Christmas night for the Southern Heavyweight title, which I still have not gotten over. But on this night, Lawler appears to finally beat Bockwinkle and finally win the big one. And they do the whole celebration, the nine yards. But the biggest thing here is the, ah, I've never seen such an impressive off-the-cuff promo right after a match with Lance Russell at ringside. Nick Bockwinkle is phenomenal here. Let's roll that audio. Jerry, I just want to tell you, for all the championship wrestling fans, congratulations, man. It's the first time uh, in your busy schedule now we've had a chance to acknowledge this on television, and I really am delighted. I know everybody else is. Well, I want to thank you, Lance. I appreciate the compliments. I want to thank the fans, and it's a good feeling. Uh I know it's got to be a good feeling. I tell you, I am interested, and we saw just a moment ago uh, a little special that had been edited in there, and I know that uh, Mr. Bockwinkle, with all of the conversation that was made, I don't know whether you've had a chance to see this or not, but I want you to stay right here with me, because right now I want all of the wrestling fans to take a look at the former world heavyweight champion, in regards to this match, this is totally unedited. This is the raw footage, just the way we shot the thing, and let's take a look at it right now. The champion climbs up off of Lawler. He's going over to get the referee, who was really flattened as he hit Lawler's head. It almost closed Lawler's eye. Slam back down, and he pulled the referee over. But Calhoun, again, is still not with it. Bockwinkle is counting himself. He's picking Jerry Calhoun up. Lawler puts Bockwinkle down. One, two, he's got it!
the new world champion. I can't get the mic up. Oh, we love it. The king, the new world heavyweight title holder. Unbelievable. The crowd absolutely stunned. Lawler, the champion. He beat Nick Bockwinkle. The king did it. He defeated Nick Bockwinkle. The time was 19 minutes and 20 seconds. 19.20, and the new champion is Jerry Lawler. That is probably going to be the biggest lie you ever told in your life. The referee counted it one, two, three. Champion, I've seen you in great fights, but he beat you one, two, Come three. On, get off of it. You've got to be kidding me. I'll be here from pillar to post. This is what I have consistently said. The officiating in the South is totally prejudiced, and tonight was an example in... Uh, he counted one, two, three, Nick. He had you down on the mat and one, two, three. You've been at this microphone long enough. Who are you trying to jack around? Well, I saw no, you saw he what? counted one, yes, two, you three. Did. did your eyes, you have four of them, I notice, see anything else? Or don't the glasses go to the other side of the ring? I don't know what you're referring oh, you to. I saw the shoulders to. down. You saw the shoulders down. The damn bottom rope in this part of the country is six inches higher than regulation any place else, which means my feet had to be up there on the balcony. Now, come on, I'm asking you. You're not. The loss, the loss is there. These cretinous humanoids who suffer from cranial-anal impaction six and a half days out of the week, I am sure, will send their tens of thousands of letters to Stanley Blackburn saying he beat him right in the middle of the ring. Now, if anything, anything happens to the tape of this match, then I hope we don't have We've a Nixon, a Nixon doctoring job here. I hope we don't have that, because if these people accept it, then they are showing how cheap they are in class, in attitude, and in style of living, because if Lawler takes that as a victory, he's the cheapest man I've ever known in sports, and if these fans back him, likewise for them, likewise for you, and likewise for everybody here in the South. This issue is not resolved, and you are looking at the world's heavyweight champion, you are talking to him, and Stanley Blackburn, I am sure, will go along with what I've said. Nick, I gave you more class and that he beat you right in the middle of the ring oh boy are you showing your lack of class by accepting that cheap so-called victory and saying he's the world's heavyweight champion lance russell grow up why don't you move north or out west of california i love that line where nick goes if Lawler accepts that victory, he's the cheapest man I've ever known in sports. And Lance, that goes double for you and all these cretinous humanoids. And there's this very heavy set man who is <laughs> looking over Lance's shoulder and he does a double take like, hey, what what, what did he just call me? What? what? I, I, I don't know what that was, but I, I, I didn't like the sound of that.
And, and of course, this leads to uh, not necessarily the title being held up. History has sort of be, has sort of been rewritten. Everyone claims that since Bockwinkel's feet were on the ropes, that the decision was overturned. Memphis actually tried to portray this uh, as if Lawler did win the belt. But the only way that Nick would show up for the rematch two weeks later is if Paul Morton came out, referee Paul Morton, came out carrying the belt instead of Lawler wearing it. And so Lawler was still billed as the AWA World Heavyweight Champion in Memphis heading into this match. Uh, but little did he know that Nick Bockwinkel had an ace up his sleeve named Andy Kaufman. Let's roll the audio now. Bockwinkel and Jerry the King Lawler got together to decide the title holder on it. And I must tell you that Jimmy Hart had a prominent role. Stay right where you are because I want you to see the end of that match and the most incredible you, are you charade gonna that I, I'm going to show. Bless your heart, Russell. I'm going to give you a big kiss. Get we out give of here. Kiss. Kiss. You find Let's take a look at it. Round one, but Bockwinkel slips out of it. And Hart about to have a fit in the corner with Dundee right next to him. Billy grabbed his shoulder and held him down. Boy, double right hands and Bockwinkel and Lawler who were both through the vicious 10 minutes of it, both stunned. They hit the deck hard and Lawler and hard up out of the chair gets away from Dundee. Dundee grabs him by the waist while Lawler turns Bockwinkel over. He's got him. But the referee trying to get Hart back from the ropes and Lawler still got him covered. He can't get a pin. Lawler goes over and blasts Hart loose. What is this? Here is Jimmy Hart on here. Jerry Lawler, we are dumbfounded with Jimmy Hart with no mask. And Lawler was rolled up one, two, three. And the winner is Nick Bockankle in 11-22. The world heavyweight title goes to him. I don't believe it. I can't understand it. What is this? Andy Kaufman under the guys. Beautiful. Look at that, Russell. Come here, Andy. Come here. Come here, Andy. Come we here, got the baby. brains, baby. We got the brains. What is this kind of a thing? You he who laughs last laughs the loudest, baby. <laughs> Lawler, I got you. You thought you saw the last of me. Until you end up in the hospital. <laughs> and there they go. Who is the smartest man for their life? Yeah. Why am I? You are you. You are. Baby. <laughs> Can't Kaufman keep a job or oh, something? Oh, baby, steady down there, you're so stupid, hey, baby. All he does I picked the little up. phone up and I called him and I yeah. said, Hello, is Indy Kaufman there in Hollywood? And the people said, Who's calling? I said, Jimmy Hart. And she got him to the phone and I told him what I had in mind. And I said, Andy, 
I said, you're mad at Lawler. He almost put you out of your whole show business career. And he said, yeah, I'm mad. And I said, well, I'm mad too because he burnt my face. He tried to break my hand. He tried to do it all to me. But I said, let's don't be mad, baby. Let's just get even. Let's just get even, man. But you know what's so tragic about this thing? I just wish there was a couple people that could share this with me, Lawler. Your daddy and Sam Bass, baby, because I wish they were here with it, baby. Woo, because it is the greatest day of my life. The greatest day of my life, baby. Jimmy, will you just shut up a minute? I shut up. You shut up. Don't ever tell me to shut up. You don't tell him to shut up. I'll slap you and send you to the back, baby. We talked to Andy Kaufman and Jimmy Hart right after it was all over with. And uh, take a listen to this. Miami, look at this, man. Tell him. Tell him, I am in the locker room at the Mid-South Coliseum with... Andy Kaufman and Jimmy, TV star Andy Kaufman. I will tell you right now, it is not my idea, but we are interested in finding out what led to the kind of charade that took place that deprived Lawler of the world. Don't tell me it wasn't a charade. Everybody, you came out. Yeah, he lost it out there. Don't you have anything better to do than to run around trying to trying to gig Lawler and bother him? Jerry Lawler almost tried to break my neck last year. He made a fool out of me. He humiliated me. He put me in the hospital for three days in traction. I had to wear a neck brace for, for five months. He did this to Jimmy Hart, broke his arm, okay? And so you say, I don't have anything better to do. I won't stop. I'm not stopping now. Look, it gives me great pleasure to know that I had something to do with helping to prevent Jerry Lawler from, from, no, from having that, that world title. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to stop now. I won't stop until I find someone who's going to put Jerry Lawler into the hospital just like he did me. And it won't be for any three days. It won't be for a week. It'll be for a month, maybe for a year. Jerry Lawler will not want to go back into professional wrestling when I'm through with him because I'm offering $5,000 to any wrestler that can put him in the hospital. And I'm dead serious about this, ladies and gentlemen. I will not stop until Jerry Lawler is in the hospital. Well, I'll tell you one thing, you just better steer clear of him, because I would expect as much out of you. Who is the smartest manager in professional wrestling, and why am I, like I said, man, can't you imagine when Lawler saw him over there, he thought he saw Jimmy Hart with a mask on, then I jumped on the ring, he fainted, Botwinkle pending. Like I said, King, and I use that word loosely, he who laughs last, laughs the loudest. <laughs> Wasn't that beautiful? Wasn't that beautiful? Yeah. And you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. You ain't seen nothing yet, baby. Like I said, this is going to be the greatest, the greatest year for Jimmy Hardy he's ever had. Plus, it's already started off the greatest week of my life. Bobby's going to win me that Southern belt. He's got me the Mid America belt hey, now. Not only going to be you beautiful. That Southern belt, I'm going to collect that five thousand dollars from Andy Kaufman. <laughs> Can't you imagine the shock on Lawler's face? He fainted when he saw Hardy. It's going to be great, Lawler. You ain't seen nothing yet, baby. Jimmy Hart, beautiful Bobby Eaton. They stand out here and want respect, and then you take a look at what you just saw in there. Well, there's nothing more obnoxious. You can tell Hart's adrenaline's going. He who laughs, laughs, laughs the loudest. And, of course, you know, Andy Kaufman is doing his whole chimpanzee routine. And, God, you just want to reach through the screen and and just strangle these guys because they're the ones that have cost Lawler his dream, everything he's been working for his entire life, the World Heavyweight Championship. And so the feud goes on between Bockwinkle. And even in 1985, it was still such a huge draw. Whenever they got together, man— it was easy between eight and 10,000 people. The matches were wonderful. 
Sometimes there were brawls. Sometimes one of the best matches I ever saw was on January 1st, 1984, on a Sunday at 3 p.m. in front of about 9,000 people. And Bockwinkle almost did like kind of a Johnny Valentine thing. He grabbed Lawler's arm and had him in an arm for about 30 minutes. And the crowd slowly was just pounding their feet. And when Lawler finally got free from it and pulled the strap, that place went absolutely bananas. But of course, in the end, Lawler does not get the championship. So in 1985, Lawler comes out and he admits, you know, I've had a long, great career, but I've never been able to win the world title. So if I don't win the championship at the end of the year, that I'm going to retire. Now, a lot of people speculate that there was a promise made to Lawler that he was going to get a run with the NWA world title. But I think any hopes of that happening were dashed the moment that Jim Crockett got that time slot in March of 85 on TBS. Because at that point, he had Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, this incredible time slot. So basically, he didn't need Lawler. He didn't need Jared anymore. And so... They went back to the AWA. But unfortunately, at this point, Rick Martel was the champion, and they just didn't think that Rick could draw. Ah, no problem. Let's do a little creative booking. So let's go to the audio now of the buildup for an AWA World Heavyweight title match between Nick Bockwinkle and Jerry Lawler. The only problem is Nick is not the champion. Rick Martel is. But And even Ken Resnick uh, turns in a great performance here. And getting over the controversy to sell this has a legit title match. We're going to be ready to go in the ring. Remember, we've got that big eight-man tag. It'll be coming up as our exploration of time match. Here's the team! Ah, Jerry, my boy. We are on what is not quite the eve, but doggone near it. A world heavyweight title match with... Your old nemesis, Nick Bockwinkle, coming in here. Well, Lance, you know, I've been preparing for this match for months now, for a long, long time. Now, first of all, I thought I was going to wrestle Rick Martel. Rick Martel, right. Now, I've been, watching, uh, I've been watching films of Rick Martel's matches now for about six weeks. Every, every spare minute I get, I sit down, I put in a cassette, and I'm watching Rick Martel. And the reason I do this is so, you know, just to try to pick up a pattern, try to, try to get his moves, get real familiar with his moves, his counters, his, you know, so that when uh, I know, I know what he's going to do before he does it. That's what I want to know about Rick Martel. So I've been watching him for six weeks. Then we have the title match signed. They call me and say, Rick Martel's elbow's hey, injured. Elbow. He's not going to be able to show up. So, you know, the hopes go down there. And then, they, then I get another call about three days later. And they said, well, he's better. He's going to be here the following week. So, boy, I get the cassettes back out. I'm watching the tapes again. Two days after that, I get another call. Rick Martell has lost the belt to Nick Bockwinkle. I throw my arms up in the air, throw the cassettes out the window, because I don't need to watch any tapes of mm. Nick Bockwinkle, Lance. Yeah. As you know, as Nick Bockwinkle knows all too well, I've had many matches with him, and everybody thought that I'd be upset. Uh, Eddie Marlin, when he called, he said, I got some bad news. You're not going to be wrestling Martell. You're going to be wrestling Bockwinkle. And I said, Eddie, that couldn't be better news, because as you know and all the fans know, and Nick Bockwinkle knows most importantly, I've beaten that man in the past in title matches, and I can do it again, and he knows it, and I know it. And Monday night, I'm going to have that big AWA World Heavyweight Championship belt match right around my waist. Jerry, let me ask you something that I've been wondering. The statement that you publicly made out here 
the fact that you were going to win the world title in 1985 or retire, has that put unnecessary pressure on Jerry Lawler and particularly coming in there against uh, Bockwinkel in a world match? Well, it's, you know, it, it has put a lot of pressure. I'll it's tell you one thing, it did. Some extra pressure. It caused a lot of attention. I've had calls from all the, all the wrestling magazines, all the uh, reporters around the country have called about it. Everybody picked up on it. And, uh, you know, when you make a statement like that, people are going to listen to it. And I'm sure Bockwinkle, you know, I'm sure that, that uh, it will give Bockwinkle a little extra incentive because he has the same feelings about me that I have about him. That's one good thing I like about this match, Lance. In wrestling Rick Martell, it was going to be sort of like the, the confrontation I had with Steve Kern last week. When you go in there against a guy that you really don't have anything against, it's really hard for me to get motivated. I was sitting and wondering, I was thinking, now Rick Martell is the kind of a guy, he's the kind of a champion who likes to abide by the rules. You're not going to find a lot of punching, you're not going to find a lot of kicking with a guy. And I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to get a chance to pull the strap? <laughs> well, I don't have to worry about that with Nick Bockwinkle because he don't like me and brother, yeah. I don't like him. So when I get in there with Bockwinkle, I'm going to start off from the word go and I'm going to give him the worst beating of his life. And when he gets through, he's going to have no doubt in his mind who the world heavyweight champion is. Well, Jerry, all I can tell you is they don't come along every day. Take advantage of the one that's here, and good luck to you coming up Monday night. Well, buddy. can I stay here for just a minute? I understand we have some yeah, work yeah, from got, Bockwinkle. Yeah, the Beverly Hills champion is sitting back feeling very much in the driver's seat. Let's hear what Bockwinkle had to say about it. All right, wrestling fans, as you can see with me, a very happy Nick Bockwinkle. For those of you that don't know, in a match held this past week in Canada, Nick Bockwinkle seemingly defeated Rick Martel to become for the fourth time heavyweight champion of the world. However, Nick Bockwinkle, the decision as controversial as there has ever been, the championship committee still not fully convinced just exactly who is world champion. But they have pointed their finger at me. I presently have the belt, so it is simple, and as we all know, usually the first step of a long journey points out to the rest of the trip. I cannot see in any possible way the championship committee can decide anything but the way they already are thinking. The thing I guess I like the most about this is the fact that, one, I have regained what is mine. Two, I have to pick up Mr. Martell's championship schedule and hearken for sooth, lo and behold, where does it take me? To Memphis. To Mr. Jerry Lawler, who has for ages called himself the king of wrestling. And a lot of cretinous humanoids in that part of the country seem be fit to call him the king of wrestling. When in actuality, folks, you are looking at the king of wrestling, the king of sports. Mr. Lawler, I can't think of a more glorious, inspiring way for me to step back into the championship slot than for me to go into the ring with you who I have had many previous battles in which you were not able to attain the heavyweight championship. Now, I really don't care to wrestle you. I really don't. I don't consider you a great wrestler. You're a hell of a man as far when it comes to Fist City. But that's not the name of the game. But you still have cut your niche. And it won't make any bit of difference. Because as the lights seem to be going out, they're going to go out for you, my man, because I'll give it to you plain and simple. I'm going to get away from Memphis, Tennessee, 
and I'm still going to be the heavyweight champion, and I'll enjoy kicking you from post to post all over. Well, fans, it appears he said what he was going to do for the fourth time heavyweight champion of the world, Nick Bockwinkle. We'll be back. <laughs> Lance, it's going to give me great pleasure. It's going to put a big smile on my face, and it's going to do my heart real good to make him the shortest-lived champion in AWA history because he just won the belt last week, and when he loses it this week, he's going to be walking out of Memphis with egg on his face and no belt around his leg. All right, that's what I like to hear. Yeah. And by the way, we watched a little special earlier on Nick Bockwinkle that was apparently edited by Nick Bockwinkle. I have had some matches in which I fared a little better against him. Why don't we show one of those now? Can we're we going to do exactly that. Again, good luck to you, Jerry. We'll see you in the ring here in a minute. Right now, let's take a look at just what Jerry's talking about. The King in action. And in September of 1985 after Lawler fails to uh to win the championship from Bachwinkle I really thought that they were going to do a deal where Lawler beat Bachwinkle but then the committee was going to overturn Bachwinkle's win and then give it back to Martell which would have been interesting and I also have to say that I think Jerry Jarrett cut Rick Martell a little short because eventually Lawler and Martell did wrestle in Nashville and man, it was a great bout. Starts off, they shake hands. Martel's, you know, comes through. He's a little bit bland. They're doing some wrestling, but slowly, it's almost like Jack Briscoe. He slowly gets annoyed because Lawler keeps coming out of these things and and really out wrestling him, which sounds a little funny to say. But Lawler's one step ahead, and finally, Martel is the one who throws the first punch. And man, the place goes bananas. So I really think that they could have brought Martell in and had him, you know, play up the model gimmick and all that kind of stuff. I think he could have been a hot heel with the AWA. I think Vern really missed the boat on that one. But as 1985 was starting to come to a close, a lot of pressure on the King. He had made this promise to win the world title or retire. So they do a combined card on September 30th, 1985 with Lawler against Ric Flair. Well, they draw a crowd of about 9,500. The bout itself, very disappointing. Uh, this came up recently on the King's podcast. The King's co-host was saying, I'm looking at a website here, and it says uh, that you hated this match. And Lawler kind of looks over, and I think he sees and it, he sees my name, and he goes, ah, like, oh, Bowden, damn it. Uh, and this is when Flair is on his deathbed, so Lawler has to be a little political and say, oh, no, 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 I didn't like the chops. You know, I, that's true. And, uh, you know, he works a little too stiff for me, but no, I, I thought he was great. But they have a deal lined up where Flair is going to return to Memphis in 1985. But Lawler wants no part of it. He hated the match that much that Coco Ware, of all people, gets the title shot. And Lawler is a bunkhouse six-man tag, which is supposed to kind of give him a rub, I guess, because he's teaming with Dusty and Magnum TA against the Horsemen. But in an obvious rib, Ole Anderson, as soon as the bell rings, grabs Lawler in a waist lock and basically does not let him go throughout the entire match and no, and gives Lawler absolutely no offense. I was actually shocked that they showed the match uh, on television. But all's well that ends well, because eventually the King did get the AWA World Heavyweight Championship. I was in uh, the third row when he defeated Kurt Hennig. Uh, I was a little disappointed that he never got the win over Bachwinkle, but hey, Kurt Hennig was almost like the second coming of Nick. Not only could he work, but, you know, that little tip of the hat to the master 
carrying the small white towel, should he occasionally get sweat in his brow, and just how super smooth Kurt was in the ring. Uh, and it was a real joy to watch and to see the fans' reaction because to them, the AWA world title was still the real deal. And finally, Jerry Jarrett's program all along came to fruition. Okay, we're in the dressing room right now with the new world heavyweight champion, uh, Jerry the King Lawler, who just won the world title from Kurt Henning. Now that some of the noise has died down and some of the well-wishers have died away, you're about ready to go to the shower, Jerry. It occurs to me that we've watched you from the front end, and it's been a 14-year quest for this world heavyweight title. It has been a, a dream and an obsession with you. Can you put it into words how it feels now to finally be the world champion? Lance, it's, it's something that uh, I guess, I, I guess uh, probably a thousand times throughout those 14 years, I've thought about what I would say in this situation, what, I would, what it would feel like to hear you Lance Russell called me the world heavyweight champion and, and, and what, I would, what I would feel like and what I would say and, and now that it actually happens and I'm sitting here with the world heavyweight championship belt in my hands it's, it's, it's something I don't, I don't even know if I can put it into words because it's, it's like uh, you know it's like the realization of a dream it's like uh, the, you know a lifelong quest to, uh, climbing a mountain that you thought you'd never get to the top of and then finally realizing here I am on top of that mountain. Jerry, it's i got to say thing. that in times when you've had title shots, you, you've been 60 minutes with uh, the great Jack Briscoe, and I could name bouts and bouts. Uh, there were times when it looked like you might have given up, but you never did. You never quit hoping for the championship. Oh, no, I never, never quit hoping. And that's, you know, when you give up, Lance, it's, it's all over. And, and uh, they're old sayings, and they don't get to be old sayings unless they ring true. It's quitters never win, and winners never quit. And the, the, the thing that, that makes you, gives you that little extra bit of incentive to not quit, and, uh, you know, it may sound corny, but I don't care. It's the truth as far as I'm concerned, is the fans. We had Lance close to about 9,000 people out there tonight. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, there was a time... It was several times. First time, right after that pile driver, mm -hmm. I thought it was over. Mm -hmm. Second time, when May busted my eye open early in the match, it messed up the vision in my right eye. I thought it was over then. But I knew, I knew deep down inside that if I quit, not only am I letting myself down, but I'm letting out all of those nine, letting down all those nine thousand people, and a lot, many thousands of others that weren't able to be here tonight. I'm letting all of those people down, and those are the people, Lance that make us, not just me, but any athlete, you're absolutely nothing. I don't care how big and how great you think you are. You're only as good as your fans. You're absolutely nothing without them. And there's no way that I've come this far and got that close that I was going to let them down tonight. The world champion, Jerry Lawler. Thank you, Lance. That sounds really, really good to hear you say that. So with his voice cracking, Jerry says, for so many years, I envisioned what it might feel like to hear you, Lance Russell, call me the world champion. It's just a dream come true. And it was a very touching moment. And I, I honestly thought that Lance was going to break down right then and there. But that's how 
special it was, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's predetermined, but the emotions are quite real. And the relationship that Lance had with Jerry Lawler and breaking him into the business and seeing this kid grow up to be a man who was one of the most talented performers in the business, finally recognized as a world heavyweight champion. That was truly real and emotional. And it's a moment that I, I get goosebumps just talking about it. Well, Brian, we had a heck of a show today. Not only did we have the very first promos between Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee for an advertised main event at the Mid-South Coliseum in 1975, but we also had another point of how Jerry Jarrett was always thinking and always planning. And if he couldn't convince the NWA board to make Lawler world champion, then by God, he was going to do it on his own. And eventually he accomplished that. And I think we had some great insight into the creation of the CWA title and uh, answered a lot of questions about why that was even done to begin with. I thought this was a very informative, entertaining episode. Uh, Brian, what did you think? The clips are great, telling the story of Jerry Jarrett's plight to have a world champion that worked for him. And of course, that world champion was going to be Jerry Lawler. It's really such an interesting tale. And of course, we know Jerry eventually, years after all of this first started, did get the AWA world title in 1988. And he would have a short run with the AWA title. But such a fascinating look at really one of the main focuses of Memphis for so many years, the title hunt of Jerry the King Lawler. It started much earlier and it would go on for so many years. And luckily, the fans didn't get burned out on it because that very easily could have happened. Yeah, and I think uh, it was one of those stories that lasted a long time. That was always the overarching storyline. You know, we had the interviews with Lawler and Dundee talking about Jack Briscoe again in 1979. That causes a split. But this story has a happy ending. Jerry Lawler finally ascends to the throne as the world heavyweight champion. Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. You can follow me on Twitter at Trav Scott Bowden. You can also follow me on Facebook, where I have loads of great content, memes, videos, all kinds of fun, some notes, some uh, great wrestling history lessons, and it's all at Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And Brian, I know you have plenty to plug. Well, I'm just going to tell everyone you can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. And you can listen to the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com. It's available on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and everywhere you find your favorite podcast. If you enjoy classic wrestling talk and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast is the show for you. Once again, 605pod.com, and you can follow the Super Podcast on Twitter at 605pod, and join our Facebook community at facebook.com slash superpodcast. All righty. We'll see you next week. The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of championship wrestling. The once-a-week attraction, another Mid-South sure-to-be-seen favorite, is Channel 13 Wrestling. Constant and durable through six years of popularity, eager, loyal fans tune in week after week for live wrestling on Saturday afternoon. And still another Saturday favorite, 
is our talent party with genial host George Klein. An hour of entertainment, special guests, and always a year-in, year-out must for the music-minded viewers. For example... Singers like Bobby Vetton to instrumentalists like Pete Bowton. <laughs> I'm sure Pete is kidding there, but it is a beautiful album in signed sale at all of your record shops, and I know Pete would like for you to go out and buy it because it is available. Pete, but really, I would rather play on TV all the time. You really had. All right. <laughs> Pete has a brand new single out on the car label, which is also available, and it's called Birth of the Blues. Pete, would you mind blowing that for us? I'll try. Okay, thanks a lot, Pete. Bowton. Thank you, Jeff. on the pulse of what the Mid-South likes, knows that one item is Elvis Presley. Native of the Mid-South, a resident of Memphis, Elvis has appeared on Channel 13 and is tremendously popular. And so, the Elvis Presley Special. It ran on a Sunday night, May 31st, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m., against TV's toughest, Ed Sullivan and Bonanza. The results of the ARB Coincidental showed the special with a 45 rating representing a 76 share of the available audience. The Elvis Presley Special. Another point to prove WHBQ-TV is the big one. WHBQ-TV, Channel 13, your RKO General Station in Memphis. Tel telephone. <phone rings> Telegraph. <phone rings> Try a Twix. Take a tip and take your television dollars where most folks set their dial and leave it. Channel 13 in the billion-dollar market down in Memphis, Tennessee. Not exactly. Johnny wants to 